so grateful. And, um, I'm torn between wanting to shift and, and actually speak apostolically into the moment that we're in, but I think we're going to do that over the next couple of weeks. Um, but if you've been in 24-7 for a couple of weeks or months, you would have heard us talk about Antioch out of Acts 11, Acts 13. You would have heard language about the apostolic and all these things. And what it really is, is a community that are going after the presence of the Lord, first and foremost. And when we go after His presence, we begin to catch the heart of God for people, places, faces, and names that we might have never thought of or never even heard of. And suddenly we care about things that are bigger than us. Amen? Like we were not designed to live for ourselves. And I think the biggest struggle in Johannesburg is that everything around you is saying that very thing. Everything around us is speaking to us to say, live for yourself, build your empire. The stresses and strains of life are about whether you're successful or not. And it's a lie from the enemy because success on the earth is not success in the kingdom. And the things that we've measured success by on the earth are not the things that, will, that our lives will be measured by before our king of glory. We want to live for the things that Jesus cares about because we were designed for him. Our hearts were designed and made for intimacy with Jesus. And I promise you now it is impossible to be intimate with the Son of the living God, to be intimate with the desire of the nations and not burn for the people that He loves. Uh, I never set out to be a nations person. And, and I know that as a church, you know, sometimes we get labeled stuff and people say things, but we didn't set out for that. We didn't say, hey, we're going to be a people that just, we decided that nations will be our thing. It's not our thing. Jesus is our thing. We, we've fallen in love with Him. And the more that you discover Jesus, the more we look for ways to serve Him and we realize that the way we serve Jesus is by serving the people that He cares about. And so suddenly, you know, little acts of, of mercy, little acts of generosity, small acts of kindness, even in our everyday life, acts of obedience to the gospel are actually so powerful because we begin to understand that when we do it for one another, we're doing it for Him. Amen? Um, I feel in this moment, coming back, I mean, I, I've got a whole like, swirl of different things going on in my head and my heart. I'm also really dizzy. I'm seeing about three of you. So, um, But in my heart is this, this stirring of, in this moment, right now, it's important for every single one of us in the midst of the craziness of life to keep our hearts humble, to keep our hearts hungry, and to stay in honor. And if we'll do that as a house, I believe the Holy Spirit will use a house like this with a lowly people to do amazing things. See, when we talk about being apostolic as a house, what it means to be apostolic is to go low so that others can go up. It means that we as a people are prepared to choose the lowest places. We're prepared to choose to serve. We're prepared to choose the, the hiddenness. We're prepared to choose the lowly places because the river flows to the low places. And when we do that, we see the Lord begin to move and do things that are far beyond our capacity. What God's doing through 24-7 church right now is way beyond our capacity. It's way beyond what we think we could do or what we are capable of in our own strength. Honestly, I just want you to know that. We're, we're punching way above our own weight because we're not the ones throwing the punch. Amen? And that's coming for the church, for the church globally, that the Lord is going to use the church as the vehicle for awakening and revival across the nations. It's just the way He's going to do it. It's biblical. It's scriptural. He has not rejected the church because of her weaknesses and her failures and her struggles and, and, and you know, the ugly side of things. He hasn't rejected her. He's in love with her. He's in pursuit of His bride. And so that keeps us in a place of, of humility to say, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. Amen? So you're, you're, you're in situations and circumstances right now, uh, and, and I can imagine, and I know because I'm a pastor of this group, and so I, I have conversations, and, and I know things that are happening in your lives, and um, 
By no means do I want to make small of that or light of that. I know that situations are difficult. I know that we're living in difficult times. I know that that life is screaming at us from every direction. I know that there are expectations and pressures. And I know that that all of those things are trying to to, um, nullify or to silence or to subdue and suffocate the word of the Lord over your life, the word of the Lord over what, what God's put inside of your heart over this house is trying to suffocate those things because actually the enemy is terrified of who the church really is in Jesus. See, we need to learn as the people of God to keep our eyes fixed on the living God. When we keep our eyes fixed on Him, our hope is found in something that cannot be shaken by the things of this world. Do you understand that that's what freedom is? Freedom is to have hope that far transcends and far supersedes everyday life. That life cannot rob you of something that's only found in Jesus. Amen? See, something that's really precious to me is that when you meet um, people who have paid a price for the gospel, who are, have difficult lives, and actually when you look at their practical lives, you, you realize there's not a whole lot to be joyful about. Yet they're the happiest people on the planet. And, and I'll never forget a conversation with, with a Syrian man who said something shifted in his heart when he lost everything. And what shifted was that he lost everything around him, his family, his, his friends. Uh, his, he, was, he has three degrees and a PhD, and he now um, irons linen in a hotel. He lost everything. He's, he, he, it, all, it all went away, but he has something that's become everything to him, and it's a relationship with Jesus. And so he would say things like, I found a joy that cannot be taken from me. And I, I believe that that's, you know, these are not fantasy stories to talk about, you know, with a people in, in the Middle East or a distant place that, wow, they found this incredible thing because they've been through such difficulties. You're going through it too in a different way. And we have decisions for our own hearts. And those decisions are where are we going to find our joy? Where are we going to find our hope? Who are we going to look to when the world around us is getting darker and darker? What does it mean to arise and shine in the midst of deep darkness? Well, it means to keep your face fixed on His face because He's the radiant one. When your face is fixed on His face, the radiant one, you begin to become illuminated with the face of Jesus. And so in, uh, in Luke 12, I think it's Luke 12, where he sends out the, the 72, he actually, in the New King James Version, it says he sent them out before his face to every place he was about to go. And so there's something about being before his face so that you would become radiant because of the radiant one that then enables you to be sent out not in your own strength, but in the brightness and the brilliance of who he is. And when we begin to do that, that's when we truly arise and shine because his light is upon us. His brilliance is upon us. Amen? You see, the glory of God is going to cover the earth. It's just going to happen. And God is looking for a group of people who will lay down their own dreams, who will lay down their own aspirations, who will lay down their own kingdoms, who will lay down their own empires, which are all fake, by the way, but those who will lay down self to take a hold of what Christ is doing, what God's doing on the earth. See, the enemy to the Great Commission is not the devil. The enemy to to the fulfillment of the Great Commission is not the devil. He's been defeated. The enemy to the Great Commission is self. The reason why there's whole whole regions and nations that are untouched or unreached is not because the devil is so strong and powerful, but because man became self-centered. Because the church took their eyes off of Jesus and kept their eyes on themselves. We became introspective. And I promise you what's interesting is the more introspective the church has become, the more unhealthy we became. 
Are you with me? The more we started to teach and preach sermons on the seven ways to a successful life, <laughs> the more we started to teach on how God has blessed you and you're just going to fly and be amazing and life is going to be this incredible thing because everything's going to be easy in Jesus. When we shifted the message and stopped preaching the potency of the gospel, we became introspective, we became selfish, and we, we dropped the mandate of the church. And so what happened was we had to go and start parachurch ministries to do the job that the church was born to do. But gone are those days. Not, I'm not saying parachurch ministries are not going to be effective in these times, but watch what's happening. All of these many streams are coming into one stream. Because the church is picking up the mandate once again. The church is saying, no, no longer are we going to be distracted and allow worldly perspectives and worldly systems to creep into the church and cause us to think worldly but, but preach Jesus. No, this time, in this, in this era, I believe it's shifted and the bride of Christ is coming back. And you're going to see uh, a very clear line drawn globally between the apostate church and the apostolic church. I believe it with all my heart. I know my parents have been saying this for many years. And I, I believe we're in that. We're in the middle of a time where the true church is, there is a remnant that's rising. And it's not to be judgmental or critical of any other local church or movement because that's not what we're about. But I'll tell you one thing. I want to be a part of the remnant. I want to be a part of the remnant that's rising in this hour. And so you need to look around and say, am I, am I in close proximity to the family of God that's rising, that's beginning to shine? Am I positioning and posturing my life and the things that, that I have influence over? Am I looking for an opportunity to be a part of something that's eternal, that's far bigger than how my day is going? Am I, am I a part of something that's way bigger than how my business is going? Am I a part of something that's bigger than how I feel about the state of the world right now or what politics are happening or, or where I can and can't go or all this nonsense or even the criticisms that we have of leaders and or the nonsense that starts to creep into the church? Are we positioning our lives to be free from that stuff and to say, I want to be a part of something that's eternal? <clears throat> it does something to your heart. It's called freedom. And freedom is when, when the temporal things no longer dictate to you where your heart will stay. I, something that's really precious to me is to see, I'll use the example of our Mongolian brother who is this young man who is so smart and so intelligent that he was given bursaries and scholarships to become a rocket scientist at NASA. Like, that's the level of intelligence of this young man. And everything in his life was set in that trajectory. He, he had come out of poverty. He, he had been given opportunities to study. He was doing so well. He was literally on his way to NASA. <laughs> and he gets born again. And suddenly something shifts in his heart. And he goes, my dreams, my aspirations, my goals are dead. And I'm, I'm burning for the people that Jesus is burning for. And so he goes from the opportunity of being a very wealthy man to giving up everything, being rejected by his family, moving to a place with no friends, no people, living in a Muslim compound next to a, one of the biggest mosques in the city, knowing nobody, but simply because the father told him to. See, that's success. Now, does that mean that every single one of us need to sell everything we have and move to a Muslim compound? No, that's not what I'm saying. But something shifts in your heart when you let go of the expectations of this life and you take a hold of the expectations of heaven. See, the expectations of heaven are very simple. Just obey Him. 
And it's not an obedience that you have to figure out in your own heart. See, here's the thing. Where we go wrong is when we try to obey. When we're trying to figure out how to obey the word that he's given me. You'll never do it in your own strength. What it is is to receive the obedience of Jesus. See, the gospel is, is beautiful because it actually it requires only one thing of you, and it's for you to learn how to receive. When you learn how to receive, you'll learn how to walk. When you learn how to receive Jesus, when you learn how to receive the Holy Spirit, when you learn how to receive His obedience and His power and His anointing, you'll begin to walk. And it's, it's a walk that's supernatural because you know you didn't move your feet in that direction. Just look at the scriptures time and time again. It wasn't a group of people that had it figured out and knew what they were doing. They had no clue. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't know how to do it. They were completely given to one thing. Jesus, I need you. See, I, I think what's beautiful for me, is I've been five times now into this region and, and twice I've taken teams. Um, and in the last six months, we've done two teams. And I see the same thing now. It was beautiful to see. I watch us as a group get stripped. I watch us get stripped of the, the, the pictures and the, the standards and the expectations and the ministry pictures and the, uh, what we think we know. And I watch a group of people who, without meaning to, we kind of come in thinking that I've actually got something that's going to do this. I've actually, it's, it's all good, we've arrived. And we don't mean to do it. I, my first two trips were just full of frustration because I was here like, man, I'm just going to bulldoze into this place with the fire of the gospel. And, until you get stripped of everything and you realize if he doesn't do it, it's not happening. And that's, it's in these trips, it's in these times that there's this lesson that I keep learning every time I go. And it's this, that lovers will do way more than workers. That it's actually the most potent and powerful thing you can do is love Him. And when you go into regions like this and begin to love Him, He takes your little, weak, frail love and He breathes on that love. And He begins to release and demonstrate the power of God over regions. While we were um, away now, I, I had, uh, there was a, a night where I was really not well. Food poisoning was two, two, two nights ago, three, I don't know, three nights ago. Uh, and uh, just my body was not good. I, I woke up in the middle of the night, you know, back and forth. I won't give you the details. <clears throat> but um, as I got back into my bed, I, I just heard the Lord say three things to me. He said, Con, I'm going to give you three things on this trip. And my first trip, he said, I'm going to teach you three things. And the three things that he said he would teach me back in, when was it, 2020 or 2021? The, the first three things he said to me was, I'm going to teach you how to abide. I'm going to teach you how to read the word, and I'm going to teach you the power of the gospel. And I went all the way to Turkey and spent seven days in quarantine for those three things. They wouldn't, they, they, you know, we were like, it was pretty scary, that's another story. But we had to quarantine for seven days before we could do anything. And God locked us up in a room in Istanbul, not being able to do anything except these three things. Learn how to abide, learn how to read the word, and learn the power of the gospel. And I was so frustrated for three of those seven days because I'm like, Lord, that's such baby stuff. Like you brought me here all the way to the other side of the world to learn how to abide and how to read my Bible. <clears throat> but this time, I mean, I, every time I go there, those three things are just playing in my mind. But this time he said, Connor, now I want to give you three things. And I was just so moved because suddenly I could feel the shift that five trips was the first phase of building something apostolic as 24-7 and into the nations. But 
he began to speak to me about this apostolic mandate. And I think I'll take one of the weeks to talk on those three things. But what's beautiful and what's so precious about how the Lord is leading us is that what he's teaching us as sons and daughters being obedient to the gospel is that it's the maturity of love that's far more effective than what we think we can do as a laborer. You know, we say this thing as a church, love lived out. That's one of our statements um, of vision. But love lived out. To, to love is the goal. And so we, we need to make sure that in our lives and in our hearts that we haven't got caught up in expressions of what we think the church looks like but missed the whole goal. It's to know love. It's to know love and to be love. <clears throat> I've been really marked... I have a really simple word for us. I won't be long. <clears throat> but I've been really marked because do you know that there's only two people who anointed Jesus? <clears throat> there's only two people. I mean, you think about the group of his uh, disciples, the people that were following him. You think about the incredible things they did. I mean, before, before he died and, and was raised, even before that happened, before they had the Holy Spirit, he gave them authority to heal the sick and cast out demons. These were men and women the, you know, there's a group of women that were following him. And these were people that now were sent out and marked seeing the visible, tangible power of God. But yet there was only two people that recognized something about Jesus that caused them to give him a response that anointed him for the hour they lived in. Do you know who those two people were? A friend and a prostitute. The whole way back on the, on the plane, this is what was going through my head. There was two people who recognized the moment they were in. A friend and a prostitute. And maybe you're like, okay, bro, what are you saying? I'm saying that our neediness for Jesus, our absolute need for Him, our dependency on Him, our our need for, for His mercy, for His grace, for His enablement, for His empowerment. That's actually the potency of what we carry as the church. Because in both uh, situations, in Mark 14, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. But this is the one where Mary of Bethany anoints Him. And she's, uh, she's at Simon the leper's house. Jesus is there. He's reclining at the table. And, uh, and she comes in. She begins to anoint him. And I want to show you something that happens in both situations. And I believe that this is going to be the defining line in the church today. Like if you'll hear just one thing today, if you'll catch this one simple truth, I believe that this revelation of worship will be the defining point between two expressions of the church. And I believe the remnant is the one that understands the moment they're in and knows the right response, which is just to love him. Amen. So what happens here from verse 3, it says, While he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper uh, and reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster vial of very costly and precious perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured the perfume over his head. Can you just picture this for a second? That's a really extravagant thing to do. He's sitting at a table. They're, they're reclining at the table. We're going to have a meal together. And, and Mary, the friend of Jesus, who likes to sit at his feet. Like, she's, she's not the powerhouse of the hour. She's not the one who, you know, everybody's looking to. <laughs> she's a friend. She's someone who likes to be near him. And she comes in, and for, for us to try and picture this, it's so disruptive what she does. 
Because she didn't just come in and go, can I put some oil on your hands and your feet and your head and just say, you're worthy. It wasn't like that. She came in and she took, her most, she took everything she had. She took the most expensive uh, possession. She took her future. And she broke it on his head in front of everybody. <laughs> Firstly, what I love about Jesus is that his reaction was not, what the heck is going on? Some crazy lady just pouring oil on me, right? Because just think about what Jesus was going through in that moment. There's a whole bunch of people watching him. And a woman comes in and she begins to pour oil that will now drip down his face and his hair and his body. Jesus stops the moment of reclining at the table to receive the love of a needy woman. says, there were some who were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? <clears throat> Let me ask you a question. If the Lord asks you to pay tens of thousands of rands to go to the other side of the world to give a cup of water to one person that Jesus loves, what's the response of our hearts as the church? Are we, are we going, why has this offering been wasted when we could have used that for something so much greater? Or is our response, look at what has happened. Look at this beautiful moment. Look at how we loved. So it, if you study this, it was Judas who actually starts up this conversation. And, and it's like, why wasting this? Why, why are you, that could have been used to feed the poor. <laughs> Interesting, eh? I love Jesus. Verse 6, he says, Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her and causing trouble? She has done a good and beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you wish, you can do something good to them. But you will not always have me. And she's done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And I assure you and most solemnly say to you, wherever the good news is proclaimed throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Now, just notice this. One moment, Jesus comes to her defense, and he's saying, now, hold on a second, you've missed it, Judas and those who are making these remarks. You've missed it. Because you've heard me say this three times already, that I'm going to die. That I'm going to take, that this moment is coming. That I, why, the reason I've come here, that the, the hour is getting closer. This is right before they go into Jerusalem. They've heard him say these things, but it's Mary of Bethany, the friend of Jesus, the little nobody at his feet, who saw the moment and went, I have to find a way to love him in this moment, to anoint his body for what he's about to do. She, she understood the priestly ministry. And the interesting thing is Judas' response, let's look at this, verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12 disciples, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus. When they heard this, they were delighted and promised to give him money, and he began looking for an opportune time to betray Jesus. See, raw needy, wild love for Jesus. The only, the only time it's okay to be needy is for Him because He's the only one you need. You get me? I'm talking about a need that's, that's your soul, it's your spirit, it's, it's life. And so this little woman who just saw the moment, pours out her life, Jesus goes, it's this people, it's this, it's this tribe, it's the Mary of Bethany, yielded, laid down, love is. It's these stories. 
that are going to carry the fulfillment of the Great Commission to the ends of the earth? Why does he take Mary of Bethany and tie her story up to where the gospel will be proclaimed to all creation? It's because it's a people like her that will get it done. And I believe that his disciples in that moment learned something because you begin to see something shift in this moment. You begin to see that, that when they're waiting for the Holy Spirit and their response after the Holy Spirit, it's one of yieldedness. What moves me about Peter is I believe in this moment he saw something that marked him so that actually later on when he made mistakes like began to uh, side with the Jews when the Gentiles came in Antioch and Paul had to publicly rebuke him. You know, Peter was not a, a, a rollover type of guy. He wasn't just someone who just come say something and it's, oh, it's all. But his response was very interesting. If you study history, when Paul publicly rebuked him in front of everybody and said, hey, you're going back to legalism instead of walking in the grace of God. Do you know what he did? He moved his family to the Gentile uh, uh, epicenter, which was Rome. Peter's response Whenever there was adjustment and correction, his response was like this. When he's correcting me, when he's adjusting me, I must give him everything. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a people like Mary of Bethany who get the job done. It's Paul who is killing and persecuting Christians and suddenly divine interruption. God breaks into his life and he's saved. And what does he do? He gives everything. And he says, I count everything as loss that I might have one thing that I might know him. It, there's, a, there's a tribe here. I don't know if you're seeing this. There's a type of people. And they're the ones who walk in the supernatural power. They're the ones who begin to see the gospel advanced. They're the ones who can't be shaken. They're the remnant that's arising. They're just the lowly needy people who are in need of one thing. One thing like David. One thing I desire. One thing I ask. One thing I'm in pursuit of. That I might gaze upon the beauty and the splendor of the Lord in His sanctuary. If we'll catch this as a people, if we'll become a people of His presence, if we'll become occupied by His face, I'm telling you it's this group of people that are going to see the Great Commission fulfilled and we are one generation away. I don't know if you understand this, but we are one generation away. If one generation would take a hold of this truth, statistically it is possible to see the Great Commission fulfilled. Do we recognize the hour that we're in? Because the right response to this hour is not to be fancy and impressive. It's not to be flashy. It's not to look for my gifting, uh, the, the place for my gifting to be expressed. It's not that. It's to look for the lowly place of pouring my life out on Jesus. In Luke chapter 7, you see it's a different woman and she's known as a sinner in the city. She's a prostitute. You know what moves me about her is that she actually comes in and she anoints him from behind. It says that she gets low and she begins to anoint his feet with her tears and, and kiss his feet from behind. And she takes her hair and begins to dry. And, and the Pharisees, see, here's what I want you to see. Is, there's two, two expressions here. The legalistic spirit, the Pharisee, begins to say, if you were prophetic, this is what he says to Jesus, Simon the Pharisee. If you were truly a prophet, if you were actually prophetic, you'd know who's kissing your feet right now. See, there's going to come a shift in the church where we begin to use the prophetic for our own agendas. We're seeing it right now. There's coming a shift where you're going to begin to see aspects of the church deviate where it's about 30 pieces of silver rather than the kingdom. But Jesus' response is so interesting to that Pharisee when he challenges this woman. is He says, I have something to say to you, Simon. And he begins to explain, he says, he tells this parable of, 
two people, one owes more than the other, and he says, which one, when they've forgiven their debt, which one do you think loves more? And Simon answers, he says, well, the one who owed more. Now, it's interesting because what Jesus is highlighting is he's saying, you and her need the same level of forgiveness, but she knows it. Are you seeing this? She loves more because she knows the forgiveness. She knows what Jesus has, has done and is doing for her. And so she loves more. And then he says, you didn't anoint me when I came in. You didn't wash my feet. But she's anointed me with her tears and washed me, or washed me with her tears and, and dried my feet with her hair. See, this is wild, offensive, raw worship. This is the kind of worship, this people that I'm talking about that are going to get this thing done, these are people that are offensive with their rawness. Because the thing is, they know that if we were to live by what society said about us, we're, we're done. See, a prostitute doesn't need to be told that she's broken. So she comes with just what she has, my yes. When God called us to this region, the Middle East, um, it came from a dream in India where he said to me, he said, I'm, I'm going to take you to the deepest, darkest places where nobody wants to go. And then he said this, it's going to take a yielded yes. It's not about yes. It's about yielding so that we can say yes. When we yield, what we're saying is, I can't do this. This is not me. This is not my own ability. This is you. This is me coming and saying, my life is yours. Do what you want, God. Everything is dead. See, it's, uh, people who understand their need for Jesus are not the ones who have goals and dreams. <laughs> do you get me? It's like, if I don't have Jesus, I have nothing. So it's easy for me to give my life. It's hard for the rich man because the rich man has his own desires for his life. When, we've, when we give it all away because He's everything to us, in a sense that nothing has ownership of my heart but Him, I'm talking in the context of a, a city like Johannesburg. The majority of the people in this room are working corporate jobs, businesses. This is potent in your world. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This people, the Mary of Bethany people in, in, in the society we live in, they are potent because they are, so, they are a walking contradiction to the ways of this world. There are people who can be given everything, but they, they refuse to allow it to take a hold of their hearts because they're given to one thing, the glory of the Lord. What's your heart in pursuit of? Because I promise you, if we'll position our hearts rightly, you're going to see the dream of God expressed through your heart and life. And it's the only way you will ever feel fulfilled. You will not feel fulfilled because you got the promotion. You will not feel fulfilled because things got better. You won't, I promise you. You're not going to feel fulfilled because you saw financial breakthrough. You're not going to feel fulfilled because suddenly you figured out relation, relational tensions. You're not going to feel fulfilled because finally you had those children. Or you're not going to feel fulfilled because you managed to get your kid into that private school. Or you're not going to feel fulfilled because you were able to give more than you were able to give last month. Are those all good things? Of course they are. But it's not the purpose of life. It will never sustain you. It will never fulfill you. There's one thing. There's only one thing that will satisfy and fulfill your heart. And it's Jesus. And it sounds so simple, yet it's the most offensively profound thing to our human heart. Because right from the beginning, there was a choice. Him or me. And in the same way we saw two trees in the garden, we saw two men at the crucifixion. 
Jesus, the Son, and Barabbas, Son of the Father. Barabbas, Barabba, Son of Father. And what's powerful about that is that the crowd chose themselves because they could relate to Barabbas, but Jesus was offensively beautiful. And so we have choices in our lives every single day. Are we going to choose the offensively beautiful one who might offend the self-nature in my life until it's finally crucified? But when it's crucified, I can give him my yielded, whispered yes and walk with him in his dream. Can I just say this to you? This is not about getting it right. The more we do these things, the more I'm going, this is not about getting it right. This is not about us knowing the right thing to do all the time. This is not about, did you make the right decision? This is about giving Him everything that you are. And it's those people who are going to see it fulfilled. In, uh, in Luke 7, the story of this woman, um, the It's just something that jumped out as I was reading through this this morning. When Jesus, he he shares the parable of the two debtors and then he challenges Simon. He says, do you see this woman? I came into your house, but you failed to extend to me the usual courtesy shown to a guest. I believe this is prophetic to the church. The global church that Jesus could say, when I come into your house, what, what is the reception that I get? When, I, when, when the presence of Jesus comes, what's the posture of the church? Is it one like Mary of Bethany and this, this woman, the prostitute, who just pour their lives out on him and say, it's all you? Or do we become like Judas or the Pharisees that will compromise for 30 pieces of silver? Or that will criticize because we think higher of ourselves than we ought to? And he says, you gave me... So he says, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, demonstrating her love. You gave me no welcoming kiss, but from the moment I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not even anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with costly and rare perfume. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with Jesus began saying among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus, wow, this rocks me. He doesn't even acknowledge that he turns to the woman and he says, your faith in me has saved you. Go in peace. And the Amplified says this, free from the distress experienced because of sin. And there's the message of grace. Go in peace. You don't have to walk in the distress of what you've been in. Go in peace. I'm thinking of the woman at the well in John 4. Another woman who's really just, she's in need. And all it takes is the offensively beautiful Jesus who will stop at a well alone with a Samaritan woman, which is completely culturally inappropriate. (laughs) But he stops to make sure she knows that he knows who she is and that he loves her in the midst of brokenness and pain. And he takes her little, little need for him 
And he says, this is who I am. And he reveals himself to her. And she becomes one of the greatest evangelists of that time. If you study her story, my mom has taught on this many times. She was persecuted. She was skinned alive. She was, they uh, put her hands on a table and smashed her hands up with hammers. She was brutally persecuted, yet she was wildly in love with this man who found her at a well. And do you know that she died in a well? She was thrown into a well at the end of her life. This profound and poetic. It's beautiful. But can you just see what I'm trying to say this morning is that it's in our weakness that his power is made perfect. He's strong when we're weak. I'm not talking about excuses to stay the same. Don't hear me wrong, but can we just for one, once and for all take the emphasis of the thing that Jesus is just not looking at? He's just saying, will you come to me? I love you. Will you just come? Let me love you and you love me. I'm okay with you publicly pouring oil on my head. This is Jesus. I'm not, I'm not offended by your raw wild love. I'm not, I'm not scared of your brokenness. I'm not scared of your weakness. If you give it to me, I'll use you for my glory. See, if we'll, if we'll take the, the hope of the message of the gospel and allow it to set our hearts on fire for him, I think we'll be a lot more brave and bold to do the things of the kingdom because we understand that it was never about whether we are good enough or whether we have done it right or whether we have the strategy or whether I'm equipped to do it. Or It's simply about, am I following him? I, had a, I met with a man two days ago who served in that region for 23 years. And I asked him, I said, tell me about how, how this works. You've been here through all the different seasons of what's happened in this nation. And he said something so beautiful to me. He says, the second, how did he say this? Well, let me just put it this way. He said, the most dangerous place to be is outside of the will of God. And he said, we're so afraid of getting it wrong or right that sometimes we miss the word of the Lord in that moment. And there's reasons that many, many times the way that he's calling you to walk isn't going to sound like, like the, the, the right thing to do or the easy way in. Or many times it's like my heart wants this, but that doesn't seem to be the way he's calling me. And when I lay it down and I give him my heart, suddenly my heart wants him and I find the path that actually fulfills me. It's not about figuring this thing out and getting it right. It's about obeying him. It's about knowing, Lord, you spoke this to my heart, and because of you, I can walk in this. This is key for your life. This is not just about missions. I hope you're hearing me. This is for your everyday life. This is about, this is about when you wake up tomorrow. Um, you can just come to him. You can just love him. You can just pour out your weak, frail love and watch how he takes that, breathes on it, and will use you in the dream of, of God. If you're in Johannesburg, you're not here by chance. If you're in this city, you're not here because you found work. You're here because God has you here. If you're in a sphere of influence, you have to trust that God has you there. And if you don't know why you're there, you need to pause and take some time to get the word of the Lord. But if we move without the word of the Lord, it's the most dangerous place we can be in. We need the word of the Lord. If you don't have his word, wait. It's okay to wait. I also want to say that. It's okay to wait. He's the one who's going to do it. Amen? 
So my encouragement to us as a house this morning is, number one, understanding what we've said yes to. And uh, it gives me freedom, just being honest with you, it gives me freedom when the Lord begins to open things up. And like on this trip, I come back and I go, man, 24-7 is positioned for all these wild, crazy things. And I have no idea how we're going to do this and how we're going to train up enough teams and people. And there's just so many places to reach and so many people. And, and then suddenly you go, oh, but this is so good because he's going to do it. And what he's asked us to say yes to is him. And so, you know, we, we've come back with this longing and desire to just be before him, minister to him, love him, and know that if we do that one thing, if we'll do the one thing, he'll do all the million things that need to get done. And that's a key for your life. Maybe you're in a time where you're trying to find answers and solutions, and I believe the Lord's saying to you, stop looking for answers and solutions and just do the one thing. And if you'll, if you'll do the one thing, he's faithful. His hand is on your life to lead you and guide you. He'll give you the word of the Lord. He'll give you the obedience you need to do what he's called you to do. Let your heart be free from the things of this world. Let your heart be free from the things of this life. Give yourself to him. He knows your heart. He knows every desire. He knows every emotion and every thought. And he's faithful to shepherd you. The leadership of Jesus is perfect in your life. The only time that we're going to really struggle is when we take back what's actually His. You're not called to figure this out yourself. You're not called to live for yourself. You're called to submit and walk in Him. And the thing is, it's so safe because He's such a good Father. He is our bridegroom. Holy Spirit is our closest friend. And if we'll walk in friendship with Him, a friend and a prostitute, these two people who understood one thing, I just need Jesus. If we'll stay there, I promise you, He's faithful to do what He needs to do in your life. Amen. It's okay to be tender and it's okay sometimes for um, time with the Lord and our times together to be deep and tender. It's okay and I'll tell you why. Because if we get stuck with hype and one expression of how God moves, you can get so caught up in the hype that when the Lord has shifted, we don't know how to move with Him because we're used to hype and we feel like if there isn't hype, then He's not there. But I guarantee you in moments when raw acts of worship were happening like perfume and stuff being poured over his head, I guarantee you those were pretty deep, tender, maybe even slightly awkward, cringy moments. Sometimes Jesus wants to offend our minds so he can release our hearts into freedom. And so tenderness can be beautiful. And I'll just end with this and say, the expressions of the church will never sustain your heart for the things he's called you to in the kingdom. It has to be your own personal relationship with Jesus. Because the reality is, the expression of the church can only be authentic when it's a bunch of hearts that are in love with Jesus that have come together. See, if our hearts are not in this, if it's not a heart relationship with Jesus, if we're getting caught up in the hype momentum rather than in the momentum of his spirit, then it's going to take hype to, to maintain and sustain this rather than intimacy that will take us way past where hype can go. Amen? And so it takes the pressure off of us as a people. We're not trying to knock something out the park. We're not trying to hit a six. We're just trying to follow Jesus together. And every single one of you have that longing and that desire in your heart. It's the only thing that will fulfill you. And our promise and commitment as a house is this one simple thing. We'll follow Jesus together. We'll hold on to him. 
even if it's just the hem of his garment. There's seasons where you're you know, right up there and your head is on his chest, but there's also seasons where you feel like I've just got his, the hem of his garment. But the power is the same. And Jesus knows when you've touched him. And he's touched us. And so we're called to live in that oneness with him. We're called to live in intimacy. And so my, my prayer for you this morning is that your heart would be encouraged in intimacy with him. See, it's not, you don't have to put it on. You don't have to prove to yourself that you're intimate with Jesus. Can I just be real and honest with you? When you're out in the, in the field, it doesn't look like these really profound, deep, intimate moments where I've come into the presence of God with my Bible in the secret place. I'm serious. Sometimes you're just exhausted and all you have is a weak, whispered prayer. And I'm learning. He meets me there. See, that encourages us because it's like, man, you don't have to have this together. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say we're in, we're in the, the days that these men in the Bible longed to see. We're there. You're in it. Welcome. But what's going what's gonna to sustain us in this time is just knowing that He is sufficient. It's the all-sufficiency of Jesus that carries us. That in your little whisper, He's right there with all the fullness of heaven. That's how much He loves you. You with me? I hope that encourages your heart. You know. <clears throat> so this week and going forward, I, my challenge and encouragement is just to say, steward your heart well. Not trying to achieve something. Hear me this morning. Don't steward your heart by trying to get it right. Steward your heart by just knowing where to run. Because I know you're, you're going to go into a week of many voices and many things happening. And if you'll just do one thing, is run to the Father. And He's so faithful. His hand is on your life and He's going to use you. Amen? Yeah. It's a good time to be the church. It's a good time to be family. I'm very excited about this week. Um, we're also in conversations and, and looking at how to open... Um, our house of prayer again and, and have more sessions and look at those things and what's sustainable and looking at ways to cultivate rhythm in the house rhythms of connection it's why why we keep talking about home groups it's a rhythm of connection it's a rhythm of fellowship it's a rhythm of family and we want to have those rhythms and rhythms of presence in our lives together corporately and individually in our homes amen so it's a good time it's going to be a good week and um, from us we love you so much it's an absolute privilege to walk together and to follow Jesus together. Um, and I, my prayer is that your heart is strengthened, encouraged, that you feel like you can walk out of this room, maybe tender, but with hope because of who he is in us. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning?